week two of a series that we were calling seven. And, and the reason we're calling it seven is because we're looking at the first couple of chapters of the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, in the first few chapters, Jesus speaks or writes to these seven churches. And, and, he's, and I believe what he said to them can really help us. And there's some practical principles in there that we can draw out to make us be more like Jesus. Which at the end of the day is what we want to be like, right? We want to be more like Jesus. Now, I'm going to start by telling you a story about my youngest son, Eli. He's, he's not here this morning. He, he's, he's at work. Um, and that's a good thing because he's going to hate that I'm telling this story. Um, but I'm going to tell it anyway. When, when he was younger, and, and for that matter, Noah as well, but we would often wrestle together. You know, I'd get them down and tickle them, and, and hearing them laugh always made me laugh. And I'll just tell you that I was the kind of dad, and still am, that I don't let my kids win at anything. Um, it, it doesn't matter if we were playing basketball or video games or whatever. I, I didn't take it easy on them. I would beat them unmerciful um, at everything. Because I knew there would come a point, sooner rather than later, where they wouldn't have to, or I wouldn't have to let them win. That they would be able to beat me on their own. And for the most part, that has happened. Um, if there's something video game related, I'm out. Eli is going to take me to task. Uh, for a while, when, uh, when Noah started running, um, I kept telling him, well, you haven't beat my best time yet. You haven't beat my best time yet. And I kind of kept throwing that little carrot out there. And then about two races into his cross-country season this last fall, he came through at like 20 minutes, and I said, all right, I'm done. I can't catch you anymore. You're, you're faster than I am. And, and so it's, it's been a, a, a work in progress, but they don't need me to let them beat them anymore. Uh, they, they can beat me on their own. But one night, Eli and I were wrestling. And, you know, he's little, so it's not much of competition. I've got him pinned down. I've got his, I, you know, I'm just tickling him. And he's laughing and I'm laughing. And then all of a sudden, he stops laughing. And he just kind of cocks his head at me. And he gives me this little maniacal, like, little devious grin. And if you know Eli, like, he doesn't talk to a lot of people. But he has some very, um, face, very distinct facial mannerisms. So that you can usually tell what he's thinking. He, he doesn't hide his emotions very well on his face. And so he just looks at me and he's got this mischievous grin. And I'm like, what's going on? And I even said, hey, hey, what's, what's the matter? And then it happened. If you're a parent, you tickled, had your kids down on their belly, you know what I'm about to tell you happened. But I'm tickling him and I've got, you know, his, his belly on the, on the couch and his arms pinned up against him. I'm just putting all this pressure on him. And all of a sudden, there is this loud, vulturous noise that comes from one of his body parts. And I'm on top of him. And now, all of a sudden, I am gagging and choking. I think I'm about to vomit. And he's just laughing, and he thinks it's the funniest thing. And it was like, oh, that's a great defense mechanism. I will remember that. And I have remembered that. And as that has happened, as time has passed, and, and he and I have talked about this, oddly enough, I said, you know, I think that's a lot like people sometimes. When, when life happens and difficulties come, a lot of times people just become foul. When, when the pressure is on, they just resort to this stinky attitude. And some of you might relate to that. Sadly, difficult circumstances and difficult situations can bring out the worst in people. I mean, we've seen that this week in the media and, and social media in the wake of the awful tragedy down in Texas and, and even, you know, 10 days before that in Buffalo. Some of the posts and the comments that have been made 
uh, on social media and in the news media have just been terrible trying to use a tragedy. But, and make no mistake, it is nothing but a tragedy. Just to advance a political agenda. Does something need to be done about, about these incidences so that they don't happen again? You better believe something needs to be done. Do I have to post on social media about gun control laws or the lack of gun control laws? No. In fact, I would say if our response is anything other, at least, and I'm going to speak for myself, I won't speak for you on this, but if my response is anything other than, hey, I'm going to mourn with those families who have lost. I'm going to mourn for children who have had their innocence stripped away because they witnessed such a horrific uh, brutality. If, if my response is anything other than that, I think my heart's in the wrong place. In fact, I think I'm just trying to politicize something. But it doesn't have to be that way. As we're going to see here in just a few moments, as Jesus speaks to the, the next church in Revelation in, in chapter 2, he speaks to the church in Smyrna. Now, now this, the name of the city Smyrna, it, it's an interesting name. It actually it means bitter. And that's what life was like for the Christians who lived in that town. They had it rough. Uh, but the root word for, for Smyrna is, is actually myrrh. And, and you might remember myrrh it's because that was one of the three things that the, the wise men brought to, to the baby Jesus. It's a very uh, fragrant, essential oil. But it comes from a very thorny bush. And the only way you can extract that oil is, is to crush it from the plant. So kind of keep that image in your mind um, that, that there's a very fragrant, smells good uh, thing in this plant, but the only way to get to it is to go through some thorns. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. I know about the slander of those who say they're Jews and they're not, but they're a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life. I will give you life as your victor's crown. Here's what I want you to pull from this: is that Jesus says, "I know, I know." He says, "I know your afflictions and your poverty. I know about the persecutions. I know about all of the things that you're going through." He says, "I know." I think it's funny that somehow. People often think that, that there are things that Jesus just doesn't know about. That, that somehow things that are done in secret go unnoticed by Jesus. That, that they seemingly go, um, and, and Jesus is unaware that they've happened. And there are moments, maybe even seasons in life, where, where we, that we go through where Jesus is seemingly far away. Maybe a better way to say that is that we are far from Jesus. And somehow, or for some reason, we just think that that Jesus doesn't know what we're going through. That he's oblivious to, to the, the heartaches and the pain and the trials and the tribulations and, and, and anything else that we might be going through. But Jesus knows. He knows. He knows everything that we're going through. And, and he has, he's well aware of, of our struggles. He was well aware of their struggles and their challenges and their hardships. And he's well aware of all of our struggles and challenges and hardships. He's aware that our technology didn't work great this morning. And you know what? He's not bothered by that. He's not unmoved by that. And so whatever you're facing this morning, as hard as it might be, what and look, I get probably a lot more difficult than just technology not working right. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever you have faced, Jesus knows. He's in the loop. Jesus knew about their suffering and their poverty. They were in abject poverty. The people in Smyrna, they were in abject poverty because they were followers of Jesus. The, the people of Smyrna had made Christians in the city of Smyrna, had made them outcasts. 
uh, and, and because they were followers of Jesus, just simply for that reason. They, they couldn't get work in the town. They couldn't buy. They couldn't trade. They could do nothing in the city of Smyrna. They, life was difficult for them. In fact, I would say life was horrible for them. And yet they remained faithful. They remained faithful followers of Jesus, even though it cost them literally everything. They were all in with Jesus. And that just makes me step back and kind of think and wonder for a moment. What if we didn't live in America? Look, for all of our country's flaws and, and, and problems, and yeah, we've got a bunch of them, we're still the greatest nation in the world. There's not a doubt in my mind about that. We are still the greatest nation that has ever existed. And that is in large degree thanks to men and women who, who we celebrate on this weekend, who gave their lives for our freedoms to, to make sure that we would continue to have the freedom to worship the way that we choose, that we would have to continue to have the freedom of speech and all of the other freedoms that are guaranteed to us through the Constitution, that, that people would sacrifice their life for their neighbor's life. I, I'm absolutely convinced that that's why we live in the greatest country in the world. But what if we didn't? What if we didn't have those freedoms? What if we lived in a third world country that was a pre where, where being a Christian was illegal, where, where you lived with an oppressive government? What if we had to, to make a choice? Are we going to follow the government or are we going to follow Jesus? Where would we land? Where, what would we choose? Now, I, I like to think that I would choose to follow Jesus. I would like to think that all of you would choose to follow Jesus. But the reality is, is we don't know because we're not in that situation. And praise God for that, right? Praise God that we're not in that situation. That that's not a choice that we have to make. But, but for the people of Smyrna, it was a choice. It was a choice that they had to make. And they chose to follow Jesus. Look, it's easy to follow Jesus when things are going great. When, when we have those mountaintop experiences. And we probably all know people uh, who, who seemingly never have any troubles. They, they've got the best looking spouse and their kids get straight A's. They've got their dream job. Their, their house is never dirty. Their, their, their dogs always go outside to use the bathroom. You know, all of those things, right? They're, they're just, they, they say things like, hey, I'm living the dream. Or, or if they're super spiritual, they'll say, I, I am blessed and highly favored, right? I mean, come on. Those are the people, you know, you know what I want to do with those people? I want to throw punch them. Those are the people I want to throat punch. Because life is never hard for them, right? Every day is a Friday. All the food that they eat have zero calories. You know, no, no wonder they follow Jesus. Life's been good to them. But that's not the case for most people. For most people, you have some difficult times. And when difficult times come, that's when the rubber meets the road. That's when we find out what we're really made of, what our faith is what really made of. And here's what I think we all know. Those people who have tough luck stories, uh, those people who have endured heartache and tragedy and loss and didn't give up their faith, but somehow seemingly their faith got stronger, they came through on the other side of it, and they said, I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but I'm glad I went through it because now my faith is so much stronger, my faith is better because I went through that. Those people, the people that live in, in third world countries and with oppressive governments and, and their faith is growing and they're a part of a church that's growing and, and we look at their, their, their faith and we go, Here's what I think most of us would say about that. That's the kind of faith that I want to model. Those are the people that impress me when it comes to having faith. That's what I want my faith life to look like. That's what I want all of our faith lives to look like. And they discovered what, what the people of Smyrna were being told. That Jesus knows. And because Jesus knows, 
It means that you're not in, in this alone. You're not walking alone. You haven't, you haven't been abandoned. Jesus is with you. Here's something else Jesus said he knew. He said he knew the blasphemy, the blasphemy of those opposing you. Not, not only were the people of Smyrna facing really difficult times, they had people that were actively just talking trash about them. They're, they're, you know, there might not be anything more discouraging than to be going through a tough time and, and just kind of be down on your luck or whatever and, and to hear that people are talking about you behind your back. Especially if it's a friend or, or a colleague or someone that you consider at least a close acquaintance, to hear people that are just bad-mouthing you behind your back. I mean, that, I really don't know that there's much just more discouraging than that. A couple of years ago, I, I got a text message uh, from a friend and he, he said, the message said, uh, do you know what so-and-so is saying about you? And I thought initially it was one of those scam things like, okay, his phone number's been hacked or whatever and it's one of those scams because, you know, you probably all got those, hey, I can't believe this is you in the video or whatever. Don't click that link, all right? It's going to put a virus on your computer. But I thought that's initially what happened. And so I said, hey, I think you've been hacked. Change your password. And he responds, no, 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 it's really me. You should really hear what this person is saying about you. And as it turns out, there was a person in, in the church that was going behind my back and saying some really not nice things about me. And man, that was so discouraging because our, our, our church, it was a different church than this one, but our church at the time was going through some difficult stuff. And we were trying to come out on the other side of it better but we have people in the church, Christians, all right? This isn't non-Christians, this is Christians who, who were just bad-mouthing me. And I thought, man, I don't know if I want to come to church with that person anymore. I don't know if I want to worship with that person anymore. I don't know if my faith relationship is the same with that person anymore because this is how they've acted. You know, I think that's one of the things that's so difficult for people who have been caught in some sort of public sin is to be able to... to talk to and, and, and interact with people in, the, in their neighborhood. You know, you go to the grocery store and you just kind of keep your head down so you don't have to make eye contact with someone who knows what you did and you don't have to face their judgment. And to be clear, that's not the situation going on here in Smyrna. They're having a rough go of it, not because of some sin in their life, but because they're followers of Jesus. Non-followers of Jesus are making their life difficult and they're trying to ruin their reputation. They're trying to, to, to basically end their, their church, they're trying to make sure that life is so difficult for those who follow Christ that nobody else would want to become a Christian. And Jesus says, in spite of all of that, remain faithful. He says, don't give up. Hang in there. And again, it's easy for someone who's on the outside of the situation to tell you, hey, be strong. Don't give up. Hang in there. It's going to get better. It's easy for, for me to tell you that if you're not going through it, right? Because I'm not the one facing it. But when Jesus says it, it's very different because he gets it. He's been there. Jesus understands our weaknesses. He faced all of the same tests that we do. Yet that's, that's what Hebrews 4.15 says. It says he faced all of the same stuff, all of the same trials and testings. So in every way that you've been tempted, every way that you've been tested, Jesus has encountered all of those. And it says, yet he did not sin. He stayed faithful. And he's been there and he's done that. Has he been lied about? You better believe it. He's been betrayed by friends? Yep. Be beaten up, you bet. Again, uh, check that box, right? Put to death, you even that. And yet Jesus says, all of these things have happened to me. But stay strong. Hold on. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep being faithful. And he has the moral authority to say that because he's been there and he's done that. And he's got the scars to prove it. 
Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16, he said, here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Did you catch what he said there? He says, here on earth, you might encounter some, some trials. No, it's a, it's a definitive there. He says, you will have many trials and sorrows. You're going to encounter something at some point that's going to make you question your faith, that's going to test your faith. He says, there are going to be difficult times that are going to come, but hold your head up. Because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. You don't have to give up. You don't have to hold your head down. You don't have to, to walk away because I have overcome the world. Do you know what that means for us? It's the same thing that it meant for the church in Smyrna, that we have hope. We have hope because Jesus hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't given up on us. He, he says, I know you're having troubles. I know you're going to encounter these things. But don't give up because I have been there. I have, walked that, I have walked that mile. I am with you. Don't give up. You can have hope because Jesus is with us. We can choose hope. Or we can choose to be miserable. I think those are the two choices. When we encounter difficult times, when we encounter trials and, and tribulations and sorrows, there are two choices. You can choose hope or you can choose to be miserable. It's up to you. You can choose to be that sweet fragrance like that myrrh that has, that has come out of that thorny plant that's gone through some difficult situations to, to have uh, to, to get this beautiful fragrance. Or you can be that foul stench. That foul stench that comes when, when the pressure's on. Are you going to be someone who, who, who chooses hope? Or are you going to choose to be miserable? Are you going to choose to be like myrrh and have that when the pressure's on, you, a sweet fragrance comes out, or are you going to choose that foul odor? It's up to you. Look, here's the great thing about Jesus. The great thing about being a Christian is it's up to you. You get to choose. No one is going to force you. Jesus is certainly not going to force you. It's up to you. You can choose to be miserable, or you can choose hope. If, and, and I'm going to use an old cliche, but it, it, it fits and it's true. If God brought you through it, to it, he will bring you through it. If God brings you to a situation, he will bring you through that situation. And I know it's, it's cliche and, and it's, it's corny and all of those other things, but it doesn't make it any less true. If God has brought you to something, he will see you through it. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, he says, We have sufferings now, but these are nothing compared to the great glory that will be given to us. Don't miss what Paul says here. He says, yeah, you've got some suffering going on. There are some bad situations in your life. Maybe situations that you wouldn't wish on anybody else, even on your worst enemy. But they're nothing. If you stay faithful, nothing compared to the great glory that's going to be given to you. Whatever you're facing, no matter how bad it is, it's only temporary. Look, I don't know if you all realize this, but earth is only temporary. This is not where we're going to spend all of eternity. So whatever you encounter in this life, it's temporary. If we know Jesus, we have a hope. We have a future. Better yet, we have an eternal future. So let me ask a kind of a very personal question. Do you care more about getting pity or making progress? Would you rather somebody pity you for all the things that you've gone through? Or, or do you want to make progress? When, when we choose pity, we're looking for attention. We're looking for someone to feel bad for us. And, and look, I get it. it. Sometimes misery loves company, right? And sometimes it's nice just to have a friend that will sit with you and, and walk through those, those hard times with you. I'm, that's, that's not looking for pity, okay? 
That's how I call having good friends that understand your sorrows and, and aren't going to leave you behind. But sometimes we just like to wallow in our own mess. Listen, when a baby makes a mess, all they can do is cry about it, right? But if an adult makes a mess, they have a choice. They can sit in it or they can make a change. And, and again, look, I get it. It's nice for someone to pity us sometimes, but pity always leaves us wallowing in our own mess. Pity always leaves you wallowing in your own mess. It's a choice. Listen, victims never walk in victory. Victims never walk in victory. If you choose to be a victim your whole life, you will never walk in victory. You're always going to be looking for, for the, shoe, the other shoe to fall. You're always going to be thinking the world's out to get you. You're always going to see the worst in everybody. Victims never walk in victory. If you want to play the victim and you want to complain about how hard life has been, that's your choice. But I'm just going to tell you up front, nothing will improve and nothing will change. Nothing will ever get better. Your life will be miserable. Because you're going to be miserable. You will be. Victims never walk in victory, but we can choose to walk in victory. And if you want to walk in victory, choose hope. Choose hope. Are you going to be a sweet fragrance or a foul odor? It's your choice. Listen, listen, temporary pain leads to long-term gains. Temporary pains lead to long-term gains. I get nobody likes pain. I've, I've uh, been having kidney stone problems here for about a month. And look, that pain stinks. It's awful. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But I get it. It's part of the process, right? The only way to, to go through, to get rid of a kidney stone is to go through some of that pain. It's temporary. And I'm telling you, when, when that kidney stone is gone, it's instant relief. There's a long-term gain there. There's instant relief. And, and look, I get it. Some people have higher threshold for, for pain than others do. But nobody likes pain. We do our best to avoid it. But sometimes the only way to receive the reward is to endure the pain. Sometimes the only way to, to get to the other side is to go through some painful things. Childbirth. You, you can't birth a baby without it, right? To my knowledge, there's always some level of pain. Exercise. If you, if you want muscles, you've got to lift weights. And, to, to, and that involves um, moving them, right? And so you don't want to tear a muscle and, and, and it requires it healing. And that hurts. If you haven't been to the gym in a long time and you just decide to go, hey, I'm going to, you know, it's New Year's, whatever, I'm going to go to the gym and you start that, I guarantee you the first day you're sore, right? It's going to hurt. But the only way that, that you make any kind of progress is to endure that hurt, to keep going back and back and back. But the temporary pain, it gives you the long-term gain that you desire. The pain is the pathway to the blessing. It's the pain that gives us the opportunity to grow and to change. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter. He said, so be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead. Catch that. There's wonderful joy ahead. It may not be right here in the present. You might be going through some terrible things right here in this moment. But there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while. It's temporary. These trials, he says, will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Peter says our faith is going to be tested. And there will be seasons in life and in our journey where we say we what we believe and it's going to be put to the test. And in those moments when we're facing those tests, we can wimp out or we can endure the test and we can come out on the other side of it stronger and with a much deeper faith. Look, the only way your faith ever grows is to have it tested. 
That's the only way faith ever grows. If you never encounter a trial, you never encounter a test, then your faith is going to be the same as it was when you first became a Christian. It's, going to, it's, it's never going to grow. The only way your faith grows is for it to be tested. James knew this. He said in James chapter 1, he says, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Difficulties are a part of the growth process. And I don't know what difficulties you might be going through. Some may be more severe than others. But it's, a, it's an opportunity to grow in your faith. And when we face them with hope, we're able to grow. So choose hope. Choose hope. Temporary pain leads to long-term gains. Listen, we cannot control what happens to us. But we can always control our reaction to it. That's up to us. We get to choose. We get to choose to be miserable, or we get to choose hope. We get to choose how we're going to respond. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. He says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. You know what Paul's saying there? He's saying, if you, if you love God, then choose hope. Because you know this is going to eventually work out to your good. It may not be the outcome that you desire. It may not be the outcome that you want. But it has the opportunity to grow your faith. And that's a good thing. So choose hope. So what are you going to do? When you encounter difficult situations, when you encounter difficulties in life, how are you going to respond? Are you going to choose to be miserable? Or are you going to choose hope? Let me pray for us.